you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the half step pod i am your co-host connor lane across from me as always grant fisher grant how are you i'm doing pretty well man i uh, just finished up our morning run and lift uh came back made some lunch and uh yeah feeling good probably gonna take a nap after this recording but i i'll i'll bring the energy for sure I was going to say, we got to make sure we bring the heat, at least for the recording. I'm officially on spring break this week, uh, which is which is super nice. Quarter ended, winter quarter ended, spring quarter starting next week. So we got to practice in the morning as well, which uh, I might I might also take a nap, you know? Uh, states apart, but basically doing the same thing this afternoon, I have a feeling. Yeah, man, spring break, you get to live like a pro. Spring break, taking a nap. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Practice every day this week, so... We're not going anywhere, and what with the old pandemic, not yeah. really, not really traveling around that much. But yeah, um, gives me the space to take a nap and have a chill afternoon after recording. Of course, uh, we've got we got some stuff in the works for today, man. I'm excited. But first, we should probably start with how your week was, more specifically, right? Like on the training side. I was thinking about this before we did this episode, and like, dude, this is the kind of stuff we want to talk about. You know, yeah, yeah, like world number one 5K a couple weeks ago, whatever. Like, I, I just, I want to know what this week was like for you, being back home in uh, in Oregon. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, really the only time you hear about people's training is like, uh, retroactively, people will talk about it after they have a good race, kind of the training they mm-hmm. built up to it. But um, yeah, right now we're we're all back in Portland um here for the next little while uh before heading to altitude i think we'll head up uh depending on who you are sometime between april 1st and maybe april 15th um, you, got, you got to keep that you got to keep that date vague you know you can't you can't have people knowing the exact dates um, i mean also. i I, don't, I can't even say it because i don't even know <laughs> jerry will tell you yeah hopefully a 24-hour warning that'd be nice um but yeah just here um right now we're getting back into kind of the nitty-gritty of training um long sessions on the grass and on the turf uh getting some strength work in uh, eight to ten miles of quality work out there uh, for one of the workouts a week and then often more of a track track session uh for the other workout of the week uh, at the nike track um that'll be a little more a little more speed focused so training is a little polarized again yeah, I saw I saw one of the workouts was kind of half posted on <laughs> on the IG account, which was rare, which was rare for y'all. No, no splits, of course. We can't we can't be revealing that, but definitely uh, I saw like the description of a workout, which I was wondering if now that it's out there, right now that anyone can go check it out <laughs> on the Byron Instagram, wondering if you talk about like what that workout was like. And yeah, <laughs> so that was kind of a classic Jerry workout from from what I've gotten to know. Um, First half was strength. Jerry's huge on strength. That's uh, kind of a, a major theme that remains with his training year round. It doesn't matter if we're in the fall base phase or getting ready for some summer races. Um, he likes to keep that aerobic system uh, primed and ready to go. So uh, tempo on the front end, um, depending on who you were, uh, it was 
you know, three to five miles, I think, um, if I'm thinking back correctly. And uh, had a bit of a break and then a bunch of 400s uh, short rest. Jerry's big on that. Uh, he loves the the rest being 100 meters in 30 seconds. So uh, they're pretty rapid fire. Those, you know, even though they're quarters, they become pretty aerobic, uh, especially as they get going and add up. Um, and yeah, you really can't recover that much in your, in your little hundred jog. And yeah. And don't blame us for the uh, hundred meter and 30 second thing. Cause that was dropped on the Instagram. That's right. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> it's not Grant's fault. It's, it's out there now, but no, but that, that's a good, that's a good deep dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's a classic one. I yeah. reps, reps with a hundred jog are classic Jerry workouts. Um, and kind of combining different uh pace ranges as well so when we were doing the tempo you know we were doing tempo pace but when we were doing the quarters we were going faster than tempo pace again um obviously you couldn't do them at like like mile pace off of a 100 jog but um i don't don't know how much i can give away but they they were slower than mile pace but but faster than tempo Um, slower than mile faster than tempo i feel (laughs) like we can we can find it out we or we can like you know, think about that one critically and come to a conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And I mean, and everyone can kind of apply that to their own. No, like not everyone has the same paces as you guys for sure, but like tempo pace and mile pace are things that everyone has right. know, at their own level. Right. So yeah, definitely could be beneficial. That short rest seems key. I was wondering, cause I kind of forget the Instagram post now. Do y'all often do like fast closing stuff i remember in in college i mean i'm still here but when we were both being coached by milt we'd often close workouts with like fast like 150s or or 200s or something is that something you guys do more or less of now than maybe you did back in college or the same um it's pretty similar um yeah every so often we'll we'll throw in some accelerations at the end of a workout or in the middle of a workout and just kind of work through your gears like start to really feel those those pops and shifts um which do not feel good the very first time you do it or even the second you know you got to do yeah you got to do those accelerations a few times to actually feel like dynamic and like you have some power so i don't know exactly what's coming but i would imagine those will start to be cycled back in as we get closer to more races um really trying to fine-tune that that closing speed and get the body used to working hard and being fatigued and then turning the legs over, uh, in that kind of fatigue state. Nice. Yeah. And, and do you know where you're going yet in April or is that undisclosed or is that common knowledge? I'm not, I honestly don't know, or I don't remember if you said it on the previous app. <laughs> I, I believe I'm allowed to disco- disclose this, but we're, we're going to park city. Um, that's where we go pretty much every spring and summer. Um, yeah, super pretty up there. Really nice. Uh, great trails, great places to run high altitude. Um, yep. so tough to sleep sometimes, but you get pretty fit. So I'm looking forward to it. We love that. I hope you can do some of the workouts up there in their entirety. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shifting out of this, man, uh, into what we want to talk about today, what we want to do today, you didn't have a race. Not only did you not have a race, but unlike last week, there was no big NCA races. I don't even know if there were any um i didn't hear about much racing going on i was i know you've been really yearning to kind of get this thing started but what we wanted to do today was take a look back uh into the could you say like the historical running i mean it's not that long ago but it is the 80s i feel like this one could be 
described as historical that I'm pulling out today? Yeah, the the, the historical running scene right back in the 1980s. Uh, we've got we've got a little treat for you guys. We're gonna break down an old race. Uh, Grant was not running in it because he was not alive, and neither was I. But this was the uh, 1983 Milrose High School Boys Mile, and I guess what I would recommend. I mean, Grant, bat me up on this, or let me know what you think. Uh, everyone could stop the pod potentially watch this for four minutes and then come back to it or i mean you can kind of just listen to us talk about it you'll probably get the gist of it anyway just googling 1983 Rose boys high school mile we'll probably link it somewhere too uh but without that without any farther ado grant i want you to kind of take this away this is kind of your baby so tell the people what <laughs> what the idea behind doing this is and uh and then we'll kind of dive into it yeah um you know i I would say I'm a, a bit of a track nerd with some things, um, and th- this would be one of them. Uh, even when I was in high school, I really liked watching old races um, and watching the race straight through and then realizing who won and then rewinding back and watching the person, how they moved up in the field, how they positioned themselves, like how they set themselves up to win. I do think like I have certainly been influenced by some of the race videos I've watched um, there's a ton on YouTube. You can get in the rabbit hole pretty deep, uh, <laughs> just like looking at various historical races and, and seeing these names that at the time I had no idea who some of these people were. I was a kid, but as I've grown older, I've realized that some of them are, you know, heavyweights of the sport, um, and, uh, were really dominant in their day and, and ran some incredible things with, uh, not perfect conditions or, or not perfect situations. And it is, uh, it is fascinating to see. So yeah, if, if we continue doing this in future weeks, which I hope we do, um, I'll try to pull out some races that you probably haven't seen if you, uh, if you kind of sort of follow the sport or don't follow it super closely. Um, maybe you'll recognize some of the names, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. These, these are some of my favorite races I've ever watched. So as Connor said, uh, yeah, if you search 1983 Milrose Boys Mile, they should come up. Um, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this one. You sent this to me because you had the idea. I don't know if this was the race that was just in your head, and then you had the idea, like, I want to talk about this one. But uh, you sent this thing to me, and it is, it's like, the best way I could think about describing it to someone, you know, like in my world who's maybe only paid attention to running since, like, 2012, uh, would be, it's like Centro's race in 2016 in Rio, but on like a five meter track and just way more like rickety with, with how quickly the pace has changed and, and, and how much someone's protecting the inside. I don't know. Is that, is that a good description as a starter for, cause I'm sure most of our audience has at least seen that race. Oh man. It's, it's just excitement. This race, it's one of my favorite races of all time. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's excitement the whole time. There's never really a lull where everyone's just sitting around. So, um, so we got, we got to set the stage with what Milrose is and what Milrose was then, because nowadays Milrose is in the armory. You've run in that meet. Um, I've run at the armory, but not there, but back in the eighties. And I think back until, was it after the turn of the century even maybe, I don't know. It yeah. was at Madison square garden. Yeah. I think it was at Madison Square Garden up until 2012, maybe 2011. Oh wow! So it actually was at the Garden for for quite a long time before switching over to the Armory. Okay, yeah. And so the thing the thing about running a track meet at MSG is the track is tiny, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Eleven laps to the mile, 
Uh, so I think that works out to be roughly Quick a, maths. 100, 150-ish <laughs> meters, somewhere around there, um, per lap. And the whole track is is wood. You know, even the surface you're running on. It's not even like Boston where the substructure is wood and you have a rubber surface. Uh, everything's wood, um, which is kind of interesting if you watch races uh, on that track. You can hear the people's footsteps so well. You know, unlike a regular track where you can't really hear people's footsteps, you hear the pounding as they go around this this pretty sh- sharply banked. Uh, it is sharp. Yeah, 150 meter long track with with tight corners at that. It's not even a, a well proportioned 150 <laughs> meters. It's long straights and short little corners. It's fitting into an ice rink, man, or a basketball court. Like that's where they have the rest of it, right? I mean, yeah, they've got to make it. It's, it is very weird looking. It doesn't look like it's even 150 meters long. Yeah. Oh, an iconic track. Um, you know, it's yes. where. Eamon Coughlin got his nickname, the chairman of the boards, which is one of the most, one of the coolest nicknames that I've heard it's for a track so runner. Badass. Um, anyway, yeah, the, the, the video opens up and, uh, it goes straight to the two announcers that will be announcing the meet. And these guys are in tuxedos. So you kind of get the feel like this is a big deal. The, mm. the only time that I've ever seen like people in tuxedos at a track meet was at Milrose when I ran. Um, I, I think Ray Flynn was is is the meat director and he was in a tuxedo uh, and i was like wow this is pretty legit feels like we're doing something pretty special here um anyway they open up it it's clearly a uh a widely televised event um and that there's people watching at home which which is a cool kind of feeling to have you know it, it definitely wasn't like a haphazard running fans that put this production together no offense to the running fans who put productions together. We love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... And we're, we're grateful for them to do it. But Milrose is another level, and I think everyone would agree on that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and in the background, when, when these guys open the, the broadcast, you can see the fans. Um, it is so packed. And it's packed. Right? And you can tell it's it's buzzing. You know, everyone's looking at the track. Everyone is tuned in. And everyone seems to, to know what's going on as well. You know, they seem to be educated track fans. Um from from what I've heard, the the track at MSG when they would hold Milrose, it would sell out every year. It was an annual sellout, which is so cool to think about. That is so cool, and especially though in the seventies and eighties, like I, I I think it also sold sold out later on, like moving forward. But especially in the American running boom in the seventies and eighties, like this race being eighty three, it makes sense that it would be just absolutely buzzing in there for pretty much the whole meet. I think. Something cool about Milrose, but also a lot of these meets, like when I was a high school senior and, and when you were a high school senior, because like I did the one in Boston, it, they put the high school miles right in the middle of these meets um, in, in positions where you're going to be on national television and you're just you're being surrounded by like a world class event uh, right before you and a world class event after you. And, you know, you might only be running like a sub four ten mile, um, like maybe nothing to the same standard like the pros are running right after you. But it is it is such an elite atmosphere uh those are those are such cool opportunities and you kind of see it at the start of this race as well yeah absolutely i i also remember those feelings um there was a race i ran outdoor um in new york where i think my race was right before the 100 meters and usain bolt was running you know and i'm it gonna was, say that the race he's talking about is the dream mile it, yeah yeah it was <laughs> um and uh yeah i mean it was crazy you know i i step off the track and bolt lines up it's such a cool feeling in high school and it's so cool that meets that are mostly professional still continue to have 
high school events kind of sandwiched in there. Um, for sure. But yeah, it, back to the race, the, they, uh, they announced all of the, the entrance and, uh, the main names to watch out for, if you haven't watched this, this race yet are Mike Starr, Miles Irish and John Carlotti. Uh, those, those guys kind of emerged throughout the race as kind of the big players. Yeah. Mike Starr, uh, had won the year before. So was certainly the favorite going in. And I had read an article like from 1983 that apparently he was, apparently he was talking about breaking four in this race. Like he had predicted that he would break four, which in 1983, you know, would have been just running sub four ten in high school would have been, you know, you would have been the, the best guy in your class pretty much. So for him to go out and say he was going to break four in this race must have been, uh, must have held a lot of weight. It must have been a bold play. I also wonder if post watching the race, and not to, not to spoil the whole thing, but like if he was just messing with people because <laughs> because because the way he runs this race is not like if someone was trying to break four. The only thing he did that would be similar was he went to the lead. But in terms yeah. <laughs> of actually setting the pace at 60s, that was not what was going on. But anyway, yeah, so those, those are the main players. Race starts off, and, and kind of how does that break down? Yeah, so they get off the line, um, and they are out hard. Uh, I think it might be Carlotti that takes it out really hard for the first 200 meters. And I guess I don't even know where the 200-meter split is. <laughs> That's but totally fair, yeah. If, if any... If any old track fans are out there that know where the split is, let let me know in a DM what their 200 split actually was. But it seems like they go out in like 27 seconds mm-hmm. and they're out hard. And then it's not, it feels like they realize they're out a little hard and Mike Starr kind of kind of meanders over to the lead and they kind of shut it down and they must run a, a 31 maybe uh, because you hear the split announced as 58.6. So well under sub four pace. And the crowd kind of kind of starts Dude, roaring. Yeah, the, cr- the crowd starts roaring. So the crowd knows what's going on, and knows that that's a fast split for these high school kids, which is which is cool that they like are that invested. Um, and it seems like the whole field also hears this fifty-eight six split <laughs> and are like, "Oh man, we should slow down." And they do. <laughs> so yeah. they they go into the second lap, and Mike Starr stays in the lead. And everyone starts to kind of assemble behind him. Like they, they start to congregate in the line um, and they, they certainly slow it down. Um, and over the course of this lap, this is where Mike Starr is running a, a very smart race. Everyone that's in second to eighth place are kind of caught in, in the spin cycle almost. The where, churn. Yeah, the churn. Where if you're in eighth, you realize oh man, I'm an eighth, I need to get in better position. And you come around the outside and make a big move and then you tuck in to maybe second or third. And then you sit there and before you know it, the guy that is now an eighth has done the exact same thing, come around you, squeezed you out. Another guy does it, another guy does it. And then all of a sudden you're in eighth again and you have to do the whole process again. And on this track, on an indoor track, a 200 meter indoor track let alone a 150 meter indoor track it's really hard to pass people it's it's hard to get up on that bank and back in without running way more distance than you need to um so this whole time star is doing a great job just controlling it from the front uh which kind of like you said quite ironic 
you know, saying, or not ironic, but you tell people you're going to break four in this race, you go out really hard, and then you run a 67 second second, uh, quarter mile, totally shut it down, uh, come through in 205, um, which even that 67 looked like hard for a lot of people because there was so much movement. Um, Yeah. Yeah, which... You know that's characteristic of indoor racing and a lesson to be learned um, for a lot of people. You know, your first time racing on an indoor track, you might not realize how important it is to be tucked inside. I was yeah, I was gonna ask just breaking the race thing for a second, but going to you, I feel like in an indoor race, from my perspective, yeah, you either want to be like right there in the lead or right off the leader's shoulder, but outside of that churning area, like just kind of holding your place, or especially if it's like a three k or something longer maybe just be comfortable being anywhere in that line and not necessarily fighting so much for spots. What is your, I know like when you ran a three cat mill rows, like what do you look for in an indoor race, especially, are you just making sure no one's cutting in inside of you at all? Cause sometimes you can't control it. Like sometimes if you're in like fourth, someone goes around the guy in third and, and, and gets in that way and you start falling back, you know? So it's up to them too. What is your kind of go to, like, what is your preparation for that? Do you just kind of let it happen until it's the second half of the race or? Yeah, I mean, the the best case scenario would be if you were sitting near the front and people weren't doing the thing where they come up around you and cut in. Um, that's rare to happen, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, someone that's really good at sitting in the lead or in second and not letting people come around them and cut in is Centro. Um, <laughs> yeah. He does a really, really good job in races. Um, and And people only realize, like, right at the end, maybe with a lap to go, they say, wow, Centro found himself in a great spot or he's in great position. And they don't realize that the entire race he's been defending that position. You know, it's not like he all of a sudden appears in a great spot. Um, he does a really good job of, if he feels someone coming out on his shoulder, just one or two hard steps and flare out a little bit and don't let them cut you off. Um, he, he does a, an incredible job of that. And it, it shows in that race that, that he won at the Olympics. Like he controlled it and uh, nobody came around him on his outside. Um, and th- there are great examples too where he's sitting second or third and just defends that position and doesn't have people go around. So I've definitely, I've watched a ton of Centro's races and um, I really like that, that strategy. Get in a good spot and defend it. You know, don't don't let people just kind of chop in and and come on in um if you find yourself in a bad spot depending on the situation um you can either sit there or go around Uh, you're fine sitting in a a non-ideal spot in a rabbited race just because most people like there isn't going to be a breakaway probably you're usually running fast enough you can kind of just sit there and wait until later to kind of pick people off in a non-rabbited race you have to make some decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've heard people's philosophy that if you're going to make a move, get in the lead, you know, don't make these moves for third because they're wasteful. So either sit there or make a move and take the lead. Um, Which which is interesting. I I wouldn't say that's entirely my style, but I, I do think there's some weight to that. Um, But yeah. You definitely don't want to make a hard move and then not kind of be exactly where you want to be, I guess. Like, yeah, that makes, especially on an indoor track, right? You don't want to have to move from like eighth to third and have it be such an effort and then still have to move 
in the final kick. You know, I think you'd want to make it as smooth as possible. Like, I feel like that's the thing with indoor. It's all kind of jerky unless it's rabbited or, or, or paced really well or you're with certain people. You want to try to just make it as smooth as you can given all of that stuff going around and how tight the corners are, corners are and the banks and, and that entire aspect of it, which like this race, going back to, to the one that we were talking about from 1983, that race is incredibly jerky and it only kind of gets more jerky as the second half kind of goes into it. Yeah, I, I do think indoor races, tactics become more important just because it's harder to pass and it takes more energy. And, you know, I was always told that in high school and in college, you want to have that pole position with like a lap to go. You want to be able to uh, control the race from the front because it's so hard to get around people. Um, like if you're in the lead with a lap to go in a race and you run a 26 second last lap, someone's going to have to run probably 25 point to, to beat you, um, which is really hard to do. I, I, obviously, some people can do that, but it's really hard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, positioning becomes even more important. And this race is just a – there's so many examples of what to do and what not to do in an indoor race. But um, to get back to it, yeah, they come through the 800 split. And this is another thing that, that I – that I empathize with, I guess, you hear the 205 split. So everyone in the field realizes they just ran a 67. And a lot of guys in the field, you watch them and they kind of panic and they start to make even more jerky moves um, hearing the split, which I've felt in races so many times. I don't know about you, but sometimes you're running and a coach says a split somewhere and it's slower than what everyone wanted or, or thought they were running and everyone kind of panics. They're like, we need to go, or I need to get in better position. And they all do it at the exact same time, right after they hear the split. Um, Mm. and, uh, it can be kind of annoying if you're in a good position and you hear that because you know, people are going to be, you know, wilding out trying to do crazy (laughs) stuff, trying to get in a better spot or take your spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like if it's not my coach, I don't, really pay attention to the split that said because usually also i mean maybe not when your situation when it's rabbited this this is easy to do because you know you're you're just kind of following the guy in front of you but i'm i'm the same way especially at a lot of these home meets that we have or fast college meets you're still kind of just in the pack for so much of it um and you know if it's a championship style race you usually don't care that much about the time so i i yeah i just kind of follow the the person in front of me and then react to the fact that everyone else is going to react Sure, sure. <laughs> to, to that move and, yeah. and and do something rash really quickly and just like hold with that i especially in like championship races i could care less what what we're running through a certain through a certain part of the race and it's really once you get into that second half that you gotta decide i mean i guess unless like the one percent of the time when you're just gonna take it out hard from the gun because that's your best <laughs> strategy i guess but yeah other than that it's just what i found it's just about being as controlled as possible through as much as possible um yeah. And yeah, I think that's the big thing too, because if it's rabbited or if you're not the guy in the lead, it's really hard to then go to the lead and get it back on pace and then still have a good second half of your race. You know what I mean? So I kind of like let it go and it's just, okay, I mean, that's what we're running and I, I wish it was different, but I'm not going to sacrifice myself to make it different. And then you just kind of, yeah, but I, I, I definitely 
have experienced that same thing. People coming up, people thinking, oh, now I definitely have to be in third if, if we're running a 67 because <laughs> now it's tactical. It's like, well, going 58, 67, no, everyone's still in an aerobic hole, even though you slowed down a little bit. So it's not actually as tactical as you think it is. But it's so hard in that moment to not just hear 67 and kind of freak. Yeah, and I think especially in high school or college, a lot of coaches give the the race plan of like, hey, like by halfway, I want you sitting in like second or third. But the problem is <laughs> eight people in the field have that race plan. And like that many people can't sit second or third. So they like, can't. They, yeah. Only two or three can. <laughs> Everyone like fights for it. And it's just like, it's not possible. So um, yeah, I, I, it definitely reminded me of those feelings in a race uh, when I heard that, or when you can tell the athletes here, the 67 split and everyone just starts moving. And it's this lap where the, the fireworks begin, the, or I guess not lap, because this is a, a shorter track. This quarter mile, the third quarter mile, is where the, the fireworks and the antics begin. Um, again, Mike Starr is still in the lead, um, and the heavy hitters are starting to line up behind him and get ready to start unleashing some attacks. Um, and I believe the, the first attack comes maybe 1,100 meters in. It, it's tough to tell again. Uh, but before a quarter mile to go, uh, I think it's Carlotti that comes up and makes a solid push for the lead. I would imagine his coach told him, Hey, with a quarter mile to go, I want you in the lead. Um, and he makes a hard push for it and star feels him and accelerates hard uh, and doesn't let him by. But what's interesting is he defends the pole position by fighting this guy off, but then he shuts it down again. He, way down yeah he hits the brakes again uh and the guy that tried to pass him carlotti tucks back in um for another curve yeah and i was just gonna say it's it's on the curve you can only pass on the straight it seems yeah like. i mean maybe not literally only pass on the straights but it seems like maybe that's a thing coaches said but it's also way hard you can't really get up on these curves it seems like right yeah. <laughs> unless you're running the sprint race they seem super steep so Passing on the straight is your best bet, but they're very short straight, so you have to hit the gas to it's get around somewhere. crazy. Yeah. Um, and so then again, Carlotti rallies and makes this serious move, super hard move, around the right shoulder of Star, and has maybe a half step, maybe even a step on <laughs> Star, and Star like takes his right elbow and muscles off almost like... <laughs> stiff arms out uh, Carlotti to defend the pole position, which today I feel like would get you DQ'd. I, I feel like they're a little quicker on the DQ. Uh, I think you saw that at like European indoors, for example. They're pretty oh, yeah. pretty quick on the trigger for the DQ these days. But They'll pull that thing. Um, it's a hard bump. One of the hardest he, bumps that I see. He's almost behind him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at that, I mean, at that moment, it's like right going into the curve you know, past the finish line, right? And it's just, or it's just he's, he's almost behind him. And this happens a couple more times, right? I mean, it, yeah. it, that one's a hard bump, though. It's a hard bump. He almost hooks him, like a like a hockey penalty where you get charged for hooking or something. Like, uh, it's, yeah, it it's interesting. Anyway, Star defends the lead again, but shuts it down again in between. So he's essentially doing, like, 25-meter bursts to try to hold this guy off. So he's done it twice now. 
And at that point, the, the challenger, Carlotti, looks pretty tired. He looks pretty gassed. Um, and Star is able to kind of float along for the next 100, 200 meters. And then another guy comes up, Miles Irish. A new challenger, yeah. Miles <laughs> Irish, into the arena. Yeah, comes up and does the same thing, just slams the gas for 25 meters or however long you're able to on these straights. And Star does the same thing. He sprints for those 25 meters to hold him off and successfully holds him off and then hits the brakes again, recover. And this is into the last quarter mile, right? At this point, like we're talking like yeah. probably 400, 300 to go. So at this point, yeah, you're, you're within a quarter mile of the finish. And then it happens again. Irish comes up again and tries to get around him and Star does the exact same thing. So at this point, I think this, I think four times, Star has been doing essentially 25 meters as hard as you can, 50 meter recover, 25 as hard as you can, 50 meter recover. And he does that four or five times in a row, uh, successfully holding people off. And you can tell these top three guys are now dead tired. You know, mm-hmm. Star has held off this arsenal of attacks and the other two guys have given it their all to try to get that position. And Star just won't give it up. Uh, no matter what, I mean, it seems like he would fight and, and claw to, to keep the position, which he kind of has at this point. Um, and they come around to a lap to go. So a hundred meters out and the crowd is roaring. The crowd is going crazy. They are loving this back and forth. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's such a buzz that you can hear and feel almost like everyone on their feet, uh, cameras flashing, you know, you know how, like, if you look it's at old stadium old, pics, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you exactly. just, you just see like flashes <laughs> through the crowd because of all the, the big, uh, cameras people have. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And off goes star. The dude just is pawing away at the track and floats away and, and wins the race. Yeah, so he really kicks with like that 150 to go. Like he hits the bell lap. It's like he waited, 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 and then he still had to leave at 150 to go. And yeah. that was kind of when he bolted it. I have no idea how he still had gears because he had <laughs> seemingly gone all out four separate times before that, before yeah. going all out the fifth time to to seal the deal and win the race. And the guys behind him just look fried. And uh, yeah, he wins the race. and And he finishes the race. And this is another thing that, makes me think of like old timey races where you cross the finish line, there's a tape and there's a bunch of people within like five meters. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that never happens now. Like nobody's allowed on the track now, but I feel like you see races from like that era or like the seventies or I feel like this was even like in when Roger Bannister broke for there's like everyone's 50 people just like five meters beyond the finish line, just catching you. And, and mobbing you, which is kind of cool. Um, cause, I agree. Because, yeah, now you finish the race and, like, you kind of, like, tap up your competitors or, or, like, talk to people, but nobody's really allowed on the track. You um, just walk around for a while. And that's yeah. not just because of COVID. That's just that's how it is these days. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, if, if you've never watched that race, definitely watch it. So exciting. Uh, uh, just, like, really interesting to see the tactics involved. Yeah, it's that it's super cool. And I I I would really really want to have given it a go running a race 
on that track. It just seems like such a unique thing, such a strategic thing. I mean, being in the lead is such a valuable position, but then also just like holding your composure. I wonder how much of the race was affected by the fact that Star had won it the previous year. You know, there's a lot of like deferring that goes into, okay, the favorites in the lead, you know, like I'm not going to go around him halfway through the race. Like the favorites, in, if anyone else had run a 67, you would have seen the other favorites probably just try to take it from him then. And who knows then if Star has enough gears, if leading it is too long. But they kind of let him have it for a while. And by the time that they try to move around him, and also just the fact that it wasn't coordinated at all, which is, you know, you're not going to get that often. But each guy's making their own independent just gasps at the lead, I feel like. Uh, all that stuff kind of played into it when I was watching it, thinking about why he was able to have that advantage. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'd highly recommend watching it. Um, you know, kind of after the race, looking at Mike Starr when he was in high school, uh, some stuff I found, apparently he had run 47 in the quarter, 150 in the eight, 406 in the mile, and 901 in the two mile. That's so, range. So 47 in the quarter and 901 in the two mile is absolute range. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he goes on, uh, runs at Arizona State uh, for Len Miller. He was actually teammates with my dad at Arizona State for a little bit. Um, and then he transferred to Georgetown, ran at Georgetown uh, for his, I guess, final two or three years. Uh, while in college, he had the, the world record in the four by eight. Uh, at ASU and then while at Georgetown uh, got the I think it was a world record in the DMR so the guy had some speed uh, some some stuff I found like splitting 45 point in the quarter uh, in the 4x4 four four and 144 in the 8 in college as a freshman uh, so just nasty speed especially as a 901 2 miler yeah yeah it seems like he was probably a midi guy who went up for that stuff but still had like tremendous. You can't even call a nine hundred one guy in high school a midi guy at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and now I it, maybe you might recognize the name Mike Starr. Um, he founded and created Running to Win. Uh, if anyone has ever used that online running log, oh, uh, haven't we used that? Yeah, we, we used that in college for a bit, Connor. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of cool how how it came f- full circle there. But uh, yeah, one of the most exciting races I've ever watched. No, yeah, that's awesome. A little bit about Miles Irish because I was uh, I was googling him before we before we dropped the episode. He ran at Burnt Hills, which I had heard of before, but I doubt off the top of your head you're going to be able to give me like the reason I would know it. But I feel like maybe there's some running prestige there or something. I feel like I'd heard of Burnt Hills. I love how all these guys are usually like northeastern guys, especially back in uh like the 80s and 90s at Milrose type meets, right? It was it felt like a very regional thing. I mean, even now, like New Balance Indoor was always kind of predominantly East Coast people, but most people did come. But still, especially back in the day, a lot of those invites were very much like local things, which was cool. Um, but yeah, he ran at Burnt Hills. Um, the quote I had in this article, he, he eventually, he ran at Georgetown. So I guess when Mike Starr transferred, they were probably teammates for a while. And now... He's a managing director in the financial investment industry for Merrill Lynch. Uh, he said he ended up not running professionally, but one thing that he did say was he's never run post-college. He's never gone on a run with his kids. They didn't get it from, and that all his kids are runners, but they didn't get it from watching him do it at all. Wow. Uh, he, this, is, this is this article from the Times Union that was actually uh, in 2020. So he, in, like, in reference to running, Irish says, never in our life. 
and there is nothing in our household on display about my running. Not one thing. No medals, no photos, no nothing. Wow. <laughs> which, which, is, which is interesting. It seems like he put that behind him. But all, his, all three of his kids, I think, were, were into running. So uh, that's, that's a pretty unique thing. I feel like you do get a lot of parents whose kids then run, but a lot of the time they're still running post-collegiately, you know, and, and the kids just kind of grow up around it. But I guess it's just in the Irish, uh, in Miles Irish's blood there, uh, the genetics, because all his kids are still doing it, which is, uh, which is, which is really cool. So, and then, yeah, like we said, Carlotti ran at UO, uh, for a while as well, which, you know, is a good school and especially back then a really good running school. So, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's cool to see what, what those guys ended up doing. Yeah. I mean, that, that era of running is so cool. Like, some of those milers that you'd see racing on the indoor circuit in the U.S. You know, you names like Eamon Coughlin, who I mentioned earlier, or like Marcus O'Sullivan, Ray Flynn, some of those Irish milers. Sydney Marie, um, if we're going for the U.S., Steve Scott. Um, trying to think about who else. Even, even further, I guess you go John Walker. Um, trying to think. Jim Spivey. Names like that that... Um, I feel like a lot of current high school athletes or like college guys, maybe you won't know some of those names, but I'm not going to lie. I don't know all of them, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, absolute heavyweights of the sport. Like those guys were, were like front page news, um, which is so sick. Like that is sick. (laughs) That's not the case now. You know, it's football, basketball, baseball, like those dominate the headlines, but it does seem like uh, in the eighties, late 70s 80s running and track was the forefront or not the forefront but it was a front page sport um so obviously everyone wishes it were that that way today but uh, it is so cool to look back and, and see some of the 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 meets and races that some of these guys had yeah and so just kind of concluding this if, if you guys like hearing about this or like like the last 30 minutes of podcasting that we that we did here um i think it's something that we'd love to continue doing and diving deeper into a lot of these guys that grant just mentioned at the end there's there's a ton of races there's a ton of things that we can go dive deep into give little bios about uh, a little bit of like flashbacks to, to what it was like back in their day um like yeah give us a comment or let us know if if you'd like this on weeks that grant doesn't race i guess another option would be looking into some of your races and i think we will still we'll kind of balance it out but uh yeah, because I had a lot of fun researching this, a lot of fun watching the race, and especially if you all like it and Grant might not be racing for a little bit, then let's let's kind of keep this going as long as as long as people are on board. So yeah, let us know your thoughts for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But great, great, great first one, man. I, I this was such a fun race to watch. I highly recommend everyone watches it. It uh it got us thinking though about and this is kind of transitioning out of this into the the other thing that we wanted to do today uh, of what it would be like to race at MSG. And got us thinking about some of the coolest tracks. I guess when I texted you the idea for this, I just said, yo, like, let's, let's talk about the coolest tracks that we've ever raced at. Because neither of us have raced at MSG, but I think it's been some pretty cool places. And I kind of left cool to be open to interpretation. I guess it could be fast. It could be best environment. It ideally is a mixture of all these factors. And I really wanted to hear your list, maybe your your top five plus honorable mentions, Uh we're already at like what the 40 some minute mark 43 minute mark so you know just like a, a maybe a relative spark notes version we don't need to deep dive into all this and then i'll add on any of that because i'm sure we'll have some overlap any of that you didn't hit 
or, or any personal favorites there uh if, if you're cool doing that i know we prepared these a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm cool with this um you know uh, i'll lead with one that that maybe most people wouldn't think about i guess maybe i'm the only person that thinks about this place but um <laughs> when i was in high school i was on a uh, u.s world youth team uh, which I don't even think they do World Youth Championships anymore. I think but they canceled that one. Yeah, I, I think sick. we got canceled. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, there's still other like junior meets. They just canceled youth, which I never, I didn't understand the difference ever. Maybe you know. Youth was, um, it was like one age different. I think youth was 16 to 17, and okay. junior is like 19 and under. Um, okay. So I was on the youth team, and uh, World Youth Championships were in Donetsk, Ukraine. And if, if I remember correctly, this was 2013. Um, and I'd never been to Europe. I never left North America. Um, I'd only really been to the U S and Canada at this point. And, uh, I was so excited, you know, my first time having a U.S. kit, um, and traveling with a team to Donetsk, Ukraine, a place very unlike, uh, where I grew up. And I'm uh, looking at the track right now. It looks sick. Yeah, so I googled it on Wiki. <laughs> I have no idea what the track is called, but um, I have so many great memories from that trip, and just like being in a race with international competition for the first time was such a crazy feeling. Um, that place will always hold a little place in my heart for sure. Um, again, I have no idea what the track's called, but I do. I do. <laughs> I wikied it. Uh, RSC Olympiski. Olim. Piyski. I think it's also yeah, regional sports complex Olympiski. I'm probably butchering that, right. but I'm I'm proud to pronounce it because someone needs to so that people can Google it. It's cool. <laughs> it looks like it's the host of a Ukrainian soccer state soccer team as well. But it's one of those classic things. I've got some on my list too. Whenever they build like a soccer field or a football field inside the track and they keep the track, that it definitely adds to the atmosphere, at least for me. <laughs> that is really cool though. It, it yeah, your first US team experience. Um, how did you do in the races? I honestly don't remember this. Um, I uh, I was on the fifteen hundred team. Uh, it was, I believe that the, our fifteen hundred team was me and Blake Haney, um, who's running professionally now as well. But um, yeah, I think we both won our prelim. It was one heat and then a final. Both won our prelim, which I didn't think I was going to do that. Um, so I was like shocked and really happy. And then they were they were kind of sit and kick affairs. And then we got to the final and uh, we had a couple, I believe there were two guys from Kenya in the race that had run like 335. Um, and at the time I was like a 350 guy or, <laughs> or slower. And um, yeah, they just took it out from the gun and just blew me apart. <laughs> I think I might've gotten last in the final, but um, oh. <laughs> but a, a cool experience, like very cool track um, being in Ukraine walking around a foreign country, not knowing the language, like just totally new experiences. That's awesome. What, what, what do you got yeah. next? Next, um, I'll go domestic here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Armory in New York, which uh, I feel like a lot of people are braced at. But when you get a packed Armory, that place is so fun. It, it seems like the, the stands and the crowd is on top of each other and uh, the place can get loud. Um, such a fun venue racing there Milrose, just seeing all the pros when i was in college um racing there in high school um i raced there twice in high school uh for new balance indoor 
Um, and uh, I raced a mile there my junior and senior year. My senior year was actually when, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I was leading with like 50 this. meters to go. And I was so tired and leaning so hard that I stepped on the rail <laughs> and fell off the track because the track there is kind of elevated off the Fell right into floor. the infield. Fell into the infield and hopped back up and finished. And I thought for sure I was going to be DQ'd. Um, I have no idea how you weren't. <laughs> do you know why you weren't DQ'd? Did they ever explain this? Or they were you just like, thanks? They said that um, I didn't gain a clear advantage or impede anyone else by Which is fair. By you definitely didn't get into, into the track. Uh, oh, man, that was pretty embarrassing, honestly. Um, but yeah, I was grateful they didn't DQ me because by the book they should have. I thought you ran, did you run 403? I feel like that was my guess. Yeah, it was around there somewhere. And I remember you were so far in front of them and I feel like every, I was, I think I was there because it would have been my sophomore year maybe. Um, cause your senior year, I feel like I was, I was there on that Sunday cause I'd run and, um, I remember everyone was just kind of like, oh, they shouldn't DQ him. Like he was, (laughs) he was, you were way ahead too. I think that was the other thing. Like. You, you you were able to kind of fall, stumble, take three steps, walk back up on the track and finish the race and no one touched you. And yeah, so I was going to ask, you put the army on the list, but like, were you comfortable with the rail being a part of that? You know, can it be like a top five track for you it's, with it, such beef with the rail? It would but I be guess my you came back one. and you won. It, <laughs> it would be, my, be your, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if the rail didn't exist or if they just you, moved the uh, rail one inch in, in a little bit, then it'd be whatever. Or maybe one. got the lean a little bit out of the, uh, out of the curve or whatever it is that... <laughs> or if you just were, you know, less tired, I guess. But, yeah, you came back and won the 3K there a couple of years ago, right? Um, yeah. Back, that was when you were still here, too. Yep, that was senior. my senior so, year. A little bit of redemption, even though you actually won the race that you fell on the rail, too. So I guess there was immediate <laughs> redemption, but also longer, longer-term longer redemption. Nice. Yeah, I had the army on my list for sure. I knew you'd say it, though. It's an iconic venue. Um, it's so sick warming up for that one. You go out into New York. You come back in. Then you're, you're on the floor beneath the track. There's like a million people. Maybe not for Milrose, actually, but <laughs> at New Balance, there's a million people down there. There's yeah. a million people in like the waiting areas. There's, there's, you're just like, how the hell are this many people in an indoor track right now? Um, yeah, you're, yeah, you're I, warming up basically in the hallway. Like they have a, two a track surface yeah. down in the hallway, just doing strides while the the hurdlers are doing like hurdles and you're just whipping like by. intense hurdle yeah. drills. Yeah, it, it is terrifying. You're <laughs> like, there's like three lanes and two of them are just sprinters are just going to go 100 miles per hour in there yeah and you got one lane for the distance guys just kind of yeah no i think my first couple of years i was really only in that room and then i learned like to just do most of my stuff outside yeah and then come back in right before but i assume for pro meets because there's less people and you know everyone kind of knows what they're doing it's probably a little bit different yeah uh, it's still it's still a similar vibe i kind of like it yeah. it's kind of cool it feels very new i love that yeah ex- yes exactly it feels very much like the place that it's in and it you know it's like hey like this is a we're kind of giving it a show i don't know I, I i definitely enjoy that one all right you number three you want to go you want to give one because i've given Should two here well yeah i didn't know if we'd give your five and i kind of okay in with, yeah, with yeah I, can, I can keep going so, yeah I, I want i want to hear yours yeah next on my list might be bu boston um mm. so i hadn't raced on that track until i went pro but you know, everyone talks about it most indoor seasons. Uh, not this past one, because I don't think they really held any meets, but that track is unlike any track I've run on. Uh, I believe it's because the substructure under the track is all wooden. So beneath the banks, although the surface is rubberized and modern, underneath it, 
of the bracing is wood, whereas most tracks now, most indoor tracks, bank tracks, have a metal or, or steel uh, substructure. And the wood just gives you such bounce. Um, if you get on that track, kind of similar to how we were talking about Madison Square Garden, where you can hear people's footsteps, you can really hear the pounding okay. because it was wood. This one, uh, you can hear it as well. Um, but it feels like you're on a trampoline, man. Like it, it's almost like uh, you're on one of those gymnastics floors that are are spring loaded under. Um, I'd say, I mean, it's no secret that it's a fast track. People go there to run oh, fast. Yeah. People have run very fast there, and um, it's it's where you go to run fast. But that that place is really fun. I've never run there um, with like a ton of fans. Uh, the only time I raced there, it was like a Thursday night meet, and, and the place wasn't too packed. But I can imagine, um, like I believe that's where Galen Rupp ran when he uh, set the yep. American record, and the place seemed to be bumping then. Um, so definitely a cool track. But the feel of that track is, I'm not going to say it's cheating, but it's definitely advantageous <laughs> to be in that track tough to call it (laughs) cheating i feel like you defend a lot of people in the northeast (laughs) or even anyone whose pr is from boston which a lot of people's are i've never run there so i'll withhold judgment but it certainly seems like it's bouncy yeah it's definitely got some bounce um which you know now that i'm thinking about it it would be interesting if if more tracks were built with wooden substructures now because of that and if uh there'd be calls for some sort of regulation on it uh, because it is a little advantageous, you know, similar to the shoe debate that is ongoing. Uh, certain yeah. shoes being on advantageous to others, uh, certain indoor tracks being faster than outdoor tracks, even. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I wonder. I there's regulation on like the steepness of the bank, right? That that's a thing that's that's governed. Is there? You obviously can't have certain substances under a track, but yeah, I feel like. I've never heard anything about wood or, or metal or any requirements for what it needs to be made out of. I don't know if you know anything about that. We should probably look into that more. Yeah. There's even anything now. I don't know much. Like I would imagine it's illegal to put physical springs under the track. Um, but the wood kind of acts as a spring, you know? So um, yeah, it'd be interesting if, if a different material were found to have better return of energy and you built a track with that underneath it. Would it be even just, faster? And, and would that be crossing the line, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, at a certain point. Yeah, another line that people need to define in the sport. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But, okay, we got so we got two tracks left, right, on, on this list. Yeah, I'm for my next one, I'm actually going to skip. This This isn't a track. This is a cross-country course. Um, oh. There's a, there's a track in Kenosha, Wisconsin um, that... It's where uh, Foot Locker Midwest is usually held, but it's just a classic cross-country course, you know, straight uphill for the first 800 meters, winding through the woods for the the second mile, and uh, just up and down, winding around. I would always race that that course in late November, and there's often snow on the ground or ice on the ground or mud or, or frozen mud would just rut it out. And uh, that was my idea of cross country, um, just a rigorous course, um, so so fun. Very unlike my college experience with cross country, in which we mostly raced on golf courses. 
<laughs> which were very fast. Um, this yeah. one was just a raw, rugged Midwest course. Um, so, so fun. No, yeah, I'm looking at pictures. It looks super rutted when it gets wet <laughs> or muddy or, or icy or anything. That I remember seeing pictures of that, though, even when I was in high school because we'd run at McAlpine, which is kind of like a racetrack, um, all like hard-packed dirt. And, uh, yeah, I feel like the Midwest people always had quite a different experience, <laughs> a, lot, a lot maybe slower just in terms <laughs> of uh, what you're able to do out there. No, that's cool. Okay, getting a little cross-country into it. I guess not all not all tracks here. I might have to revise my list really quick, but... uh. All right, so is this is this number one? Do we have number one upcoming? Oh dang, I wasn't really going in an order, but those okay. are, those a, were top. A, a, this is my fifth one. Fifth one. I'll throw it might it not in. be number one. Um, I gotta go with my my home track in college. I gotta go with Stanford. Um, yeah, baby. Racing that. Uh, what what is the technical name? Is it Cobb Track? Cobb Track and Angel Field. Cobb Track and Angel Field. Yeah, I should know that actually. Um, <laughs> But so many fun memories racing there. Um, so cool seeing, uh, again, looking at past races or past race videos. So cool seeing kind of the Vinland Anna era at Stanford and making Stanford meets the the pinnacle of fast running for distance runners. And uh, yeah. especially for the U.S., I mean, the, the Peyton Jordan meet was turned into a world-class meet. Um just a perfect environment for it waiting till the sun drops you know the wind dies and those the track seems perfectly designed for distance running um i mean i don't know if there's any actual uh actual math or like statistics that show that the the angle or the the length of the curve is optimal for distance running but uh it feels that way um and it is so cool seeing your home track that you train on every day and just hang out on and and uh, stretch on and, and just hang with your boys and on transform kick, into kick people out of out of the uh, out of the facility when yeah. we practice hours on yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh, shout out to our old coach old assistant coach uh, coach John Oliver who's now at Purdue uh, he would always kick people out during practice regular people that were like blocking lane one or something and it's because it's because it's right next to the visitor center so everyone would just come down and kind of like walk around on it while we're doing the strides or a workout or something yeah someone's got to kick them out (laughs) yeah but yeah so cool seeing that track transformed into like when pre was posted there i guess was that 2019 when pre fontaine was there transformed into a world-class diamond league venue um yeah I, i i gotta put that in my top five no, I mean, of course, and the people who yell at us for being biased, whatever, man, we are. Um, <laughs> we've addressed it. I, uh, I also, there, there is the ultimate Homer part, which is like when we get to run on that track, having our entire team in the stands right there, like knowing where they'll be and just that community sense, which, you know, you always want that in your home track to have that kind of sense of community. And I, that's always been really special for me when we get to race out there. And uh, yeah, so that, that even adds to it for, Stanford guys, I'm sure similar to like guys, Oregon running at, you know, their track or, you know, any of these, any of these that we're talking about, it's, it's special and it's your home. So that would have been in my list too. But, uh, I, I was worried that, you know, I, I figured you'd mention it and I was worried that like, you know, it's a little bit subjective just a tad. Um, but that is what these subjective rankings are. So no, I, I, I respect that. And I, I would say it's, <laughs> uh, we should probably, I'll, I'll, I'll give you mine real quick. Um, I guess, yeah, not really in an order either, but one thing I'd add to your list, Franklin Field. 
uh, at Penn. No. Did you ever run Penn? Ne- never raced there. Point? Did you miss it? Oh. Yeah, I don't. Because like Sean, we definitely sent four miles. Yeah. Wow. You no, that college. was that was the year before my freshman year. Yeah, I've always wanted to race there. That was the Chaz race. Yeah. <laughs> we should break. We should break down the Chaz race. Although I feel like everyone's probably seen it. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe 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 some people haven't. But um, yeah, I raced there my junior and my senior year. Uh, I think my junior year I came in 13th in the 3K. My senior year I won it, so that's a big reason why it's special to me. But it's a, just this cavernous arena. I think it could seat like 70,000 people or something. That may be off. Uh, people who live in Pennsylvania yell at me. Uh, that's fine. And it's pretty... It gets. It doesn't get like full, but even like a quarter full or half full is still a whole like lot of people there. And it, it has just really... It's just a really cool facility. There's like this big like clock wall on, on one side. It's it's right by the river down there and uh, kind of near downtown Philly. It's right off of UPenn's campus, obviously. A super beautiful area to warm up and run. And then to actually race on, the 3K would always seem to be when the sun was like setting and it was just this really cool like ca- shadow casted vibe. And I know that, hey, like shadows aren't a thing that is the same on a track. It depends on what time of day you run. But whenever I got to race there, that was really cool. Um, you got this brick wall that's probably about you know, six or seven feet high on some sides, or maybe four or five feet on others. That kind of makes you feel like you're down in this bowl. Um, I love tracks that do that. That's that's a common theme on my list, actually, because it just it just you know elevates the fans around you, and then everyone's kind of down on the track and on you. Uh, love that experience. Pen Relays is a really cool meet. You go into that um, just expecting that things might not go according to plan. You're gonna be in this paddock before your race for like. 45 minutes um like not really getting to do much before warm up and you just get to like make the most of a of a difficult situation that no one's got their perfect warm-up in or perfect race tactics and i love stuff like that i love kind of adapting so that one's in there for me a hundred percent um another one that you know i had the armory for sure uh i really enjoyed racing at tyson Fieldhouse in in arkansas uh, I guess when we're talking about BU, it seems like a lot of the fast times nationally have been run at BU or at Tyson uh, in the last few years, especially this past indoor season. Just a really elite facility. I don't know about atmosphere or ambiance. I mean, I, I wasn't there for nationals this year, obviously, so may, it might get rowdy, but it just certainly seems like a big facility with enough space to do full warm-up routines. Um, they run a really tight ship there. You've got, it just feels really optimal for like a big collegiate meet. I guess is kind of how I describe it. You've got uh, these like baseball indoor baseball facilities right next to the track that you can use as a warm up area. It um, you know, it's obviously a really fast track. It's it it seems pretty new. It's you know perfect banks for running fast. It seems like and yeah, just just this big space that definitely seems pretty optimal. Obviously, Oregon State is going there and running really fast. We were able to go down there last year. Um, it seems like a super cool, super cool stadium as well, uh, and I was I was glad I got the chance to race there. Uh, the only ones I guess well, there's a couple local ones that I'm biased towards. <laughs> um, do you ever do New Balance Outdoor? Uh, I did in uh, where's that Greensboro? Greensboro, baby, NCA and T's track. It's where we had our state meet. Uh, New Balance Outdoor was always so hot because they'd hold <laughs> it in June, but that's also a nice stadium. If you look nationally at like track, you know, track venues, I feel like. That is a really nice one. You know, it's a lot of bleachers, a lot of stands. It's a really solid Mondo track. Uh, I think it's Mondo. I think that's what that is. And um, 
we'd have our state meet there, so I'd race there a lot. Also race there at New Balance Outdoor. Um, it's a good color. Big fan <laughs> of that that shade of blue. Oh, uh, I don't know. It's just it's a nice color to run on. Some colors just hurt your eyes. I feel like when you're when you're running on it. I don't know if you even notice that kind of thing. Um, like Cal's track, and it's not just because we don't like Cal, but it's like bright yellow. That would no, <laughs> that would really just bother me. Cal's like track is like a faded, me. like mustard yellow. It's it's no good. Yeah, yeah. no, objectively. Just, it, yeah, like, <laughs> no offense to Cal, except I mean, I guess I don't know. Like, I'm not even trying to be any type of way about it. Like, it just it's not that color is not as good of a color as like a nice blue or you know like a classic like what it's not red. Like, what is our track? Would you, how would you describe red. red color uh, is it red is that what that is this, it's just this track color to me yeah i feel it's like, like the basic one i love blue tracks red tracks yeah. my least favorite track would probably be a black track for some reason a Ooh, black track classic. just feels kind of kind of slow to me yeah no i agree i feel like it's it's like rubber like recycled rubber and they didn't do the extra stuff of painting over <laughs> it and you're just like no i know i know this is my high school track was green Really, but now it's now it's red because they just got it resurfaced. So, but yeah, it used to be green because our colors were green and gold. But uh, it's gone now. <laughs> so yeah, love NCA and T track. The other one I had out here doesn't exist anymore, and I guess I never raced there. But I worked out there two times a week in like middle school and beginning of high school. Wallace Wade, uh, which is at Duke. You've probably watched the two thousand one, two thousand two like nationals. I think it's the meet we won, uh, Stanford men. Oh, okay. We carried oh, yeah, that was at Duke. That's yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. So that's at Duke. Um, my my high school coach, uh, Nick Mangum, I think either raced in it or, or was there because he was on the state team at the time, and so he was telling me about it. It seemed like it could be a really cool atmosphere. Back in middle school, the track was still inlaid in the football stadium, which again, you know, it's set below everything, but it's also you got this like U-shaped bowl, U-shaped like stone bowl uh just in the center of duke's campus and you kind of walk down to the track and it always do you know that it's <laughs> super dumb do you know that like wet track smell where it just it just like do you know what i'm talking yeah, I know about what you mean. i don't know yeah. it did but it's not just like wet track it just like it's like feels pretty clean or like oh like they definitely just watered the grass on this field and the track just like i don't know just everything about it kind of felt fast um and duke i think took the track out moved the stadium closer together and then put the track just to the side of the stadium and it's a really nice track there now but just in terms of like the ambiance surrounding like an actual venue and, and and the amount of people you could host which i guess we're not really selling out big stadiums like wallace wade for <laughs> for track meets these days anyway but that you couldn't beat that it was so cool to imagine those stands being full when i was working out uh in middle school uh and the last one uh paul durr which is nc state's track is also just really nice that was the first track meet i ever went and uh watched when i think they hosted accs in like 2011 or 2012 uh it's got like you know like 10 or 12 like rows of bleachers on one side that kind of step down to the track just a super nice quality track um also set in the middle of their campus got their soccer team like playing games in the center of it and uh right along a little footpath out to the side that you can warm up on just uh, that one always reminds me the most of home i feel like uh just yeah just a really nice venue obviously stanford i would put in there but we already talked about it uh can't beat that i'd also i've never raced at drake relays but that seems sick i don't think you've ever raced in iowa either uh i've I raced at that there. track before um usa oh, one year oh okay yeah oh yeah i forgot about that that seems cool i've yeah never done no that, that's a cool cool track cool atmosphere kind of has that similar uh sunken down track with kind of brick walls leading up to the the stands 
Uh, and it's about, blue. Yeah, yeah, blue. Right? That's a nice so there track. you go. Gets gets pretty yeah. hot and humid there and kind of stormy sometimes, but it's it's a nice place to run. Yeah, yeah. I guess the track itself is nice. Uh, the weather in Iowa can be probably hit or miss around that time of year. Yeah. is what everyone <laughs> says. Um, and then all these you've been racing a lot in California, I feel like in Arizona, and just had these like high schools. I mean, that's more of a COVID thing than anything else. I also the only other one I was thinking of, which also doesn't exist, is when they had World Indoors in when they had World Indoors in Oregon uh seemed like that was i don't even know where they put that but that seemed really cool yeah i think that was at, at the convention center downtown um but yeah that environment seemed seemed really cool um yeah. while, while you're talking i definitely would have put uh or should have put hayward field uh up on my list <laughs> the the atmosphere there is is next level ncaa's um and the new stadium seems incredible so yeah i didn't say hayward field because i I'd, I'd been there but i never raced there um and also because it doesn't really exist in the same iteration that we probably remember it as. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, what they've done to that place now, is just, it's so, it's, it's, un- I'm really excited to get to race there, basically. But yeah, Hay- old Hayward Field, too. Uh, I mean, just legendary isn't even, like, justice to what that place <laughs> is to track. <laughs> I mean, just in reality. Yeah, So yeah, great spot. Nice. Did we forget any, anything big? I think we, I hit everything on mine um nice okay anything else that we need to we need to discuss before we before we wrap this up because we've been going for a little bit here solid solid 70 minute or yeah i'm surprised how long we talked about that honestly with the just talking about that race i thought we would probably have a 30 40 minute episode here but we kind of got rambling a little bit but um, we get rambling i feel like we say this every week yeah it's <laughs> also kind of the point of the podcast yeah i guess the point of the podcast is to talk so Hopefully we're doing that enough. Um, but yeah, I feel like this was a, a nice little app we got. Yeah, hopefully people enjoyed it. We can move DMs uh, to next week. Listener questions, uh, continue to send those in 100%. We, uh, we didn't get that many in the last week either way. And also, obviously, Grant isn't racing, so maybe things aren't as prime. But yeah, just general things. Uh, if we made any mistakes in these tracks or, or, or the old races, just please... Um, also let us know i'm sure we'd we'd love to make some make some apologies at the beginning of the next episode and then the last thing you mentioned this to me but um yeah let us know if you have recommendations for other races you want us to break down in this similar way whether they're races that grant ran um or races that are just you know kind of similar to this one that we did today just kind of in the history books uh we i know we both love watching old track races or just watching any track races and kind of understanding how they went down uh i love what you said about watching it once and then watching it once again from the perspective of the guy who won (laughs) like like following them specifically because i feel like that is such a good tool uh yeah so just just let us know things that you want us to break down uh because you're not racing probably until may yeah i'll probably race in may um there's a couple meets uh all through kind of beginning to the end of may so i'll probably drop down from altitude for a couple of those nice yeah so until then we're, we're gonna we'll probably review stuff that does happen in you know in the running scene up until that point a little bit too but we're definitely open to meet suggestions to, to kind of go in and review so if anyone's got some favorites that they want us to look at please text us or dm us or send them to us yeah or or just let me know what your favorite race you've watched is you know i've there, there's tons of great races out there so i'm always looking for for new ones to check out definitely great um Oh, so yeah, turn off the podcast if you if you don't care about the NBA. 
but uh, Lamelo, broken wrist. Did you see this? <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, dude, it's tough. Oh my god, rookie of the year campaign, probably trash. Yeah, I don't know. Do they have a timeline for his return yet? I haven't checked since that. I figured that would be something you would know, not me. <laughs> dude, I'm I'm googling it right now. Lamelo ball injury. Out for rest of season? I don't know if that's an exaggeration. I mean, broken wrist, like, it's tough to play basketball on a broken wrist, you know? All you need is one hand, though. Is it a shooting yeah. hand? One for, strictly for buckets. Uh, <laughs> you always have to have one for <laughs> buckets. Uh, yeah, lamello ball out indefinitely. Indefinitely is never a good duration of time for your injury to take. No. <laughs> Let me tell you that much. I, uh, damn it, that that is just going to be really tough for the hornets too i think that they were you know in the sixth seed in the east and we might still be there for now but without our best player stuff is going to drop yeah eventually. you're gonna want to start tanking now <laughs> we won't we will not be able to catch the pistons even if we tank <laughs> um so there's almost no point in that either i don't know do you you guys might get this number one draft pick here do you know who you would even draft i saw i was watching Cade cunningham in the tournament for Oklahoma State, he did not have a great game, though. Yeah, he didn't. Um, I don't know who the Pistons would pick. Um, it'd be nice to have a franchise player, like someone to really, really build a team around, you know? Um, it'd be nice if the Pistons <laughs> picked well, but uh, yeah, we, we, sh- we shall see. No, yeah, and that'll be good. Um, Stanford women got through their first two games. That second one was a little closer than I thought it might be. Played, I think, Louisville, and they were pretty tough, but into the sweet 16 you have them winning your women's bracket yeah they're winning my women's bracket my women's bracket's doing pretty well i'm like in the 60th percentile i think so i'm better than half the people out there my men's brackets are doing horribly though um mine mine as well i know i know there's a thing about people just loving when other people talk about their march madness brackets (laughs) but I think I'm like last in our pool or second yeah. last in our <laughs> yeah. I'm second. There's there's no money on there's no money on the line in these pools, by the way. NCA. Nice try. <laughs> but this is just this is just completely for bragging rights. Yeah, I'm second to last in my twenty two person Bowerman league, so um mm-hmm. who's in the lead right now in the Bowerman league? I think the people definitely want to know. And also that person would probably want it presented. Uh I believe Elliot Heath. Um so not a current Bowerman member, but an ex Bowerman member. Um Dang. Elliot Heath is sitting number one and are you are you losing the stanford portion of that bracket as well <laughs> there's a lot of stanford people <laughs> yeah yeah um the only person i'm beating is is woody's girlfriend so uh I'm, so you're yeah you're behind yeah i'm i'm tanking i'm just like the pistons yeah you're you're tanking though you're setting up for next year yeah. right you're gonna yeah. get the first pins yeah. <laughs> whatever the hell that does awesome man well uh Great, yeah. Let us know if you guys have anything that you want us specifically to talk about. Listener questions, as always, and uh, and thank you guys for listening to another episode. Uh, we'll we'll get back to you next week. Yeah, guys, appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll chat next week. Yeah.